Happy Labor Day weekend, Southwinds family and all of our guests. We're so glad you're joining us today. Before we dig into our study this morning, I want to give you a heads up. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. If you join us outdoors at 8 a.m., we'll be celebrating out on our courtyard. And if you're at home, you'll want to make sure that you have what you need to celebrate with us virtually. I am looking forward to remembering together what Jesus did for us on the cross. Today, we launch a brand new teaching series called Hope for Exiles. We'll be studying the New Testament letter called 1 Peter. Maybe you're asking why we're studying 1 Peter, and the answer is we need hope. I I cannot think of a book in the Bible more relevant to the times we're living through right now. You see, 1 Peter was written to Christians living in incredibly difficult times. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter tells us they were going through fiery trials. We know historically that at this time, a full-blown empire-wide persecution had not yet broken out, but it was flaring. Some believers lost their jobs, were left in poverty. Many of them faced social ostracism as neighbors attacked them, maligned them, uh, set them aside for their beliefs. Some of them were killed, and they needed hope. Peter offers them hope. The suffering that these believers were facing grew out of the reality that they didn't belong, that as followers of Christ, they were different, and they felt this difference. They felt the alienation and dislocation. And Peter calls them exiles, and Peter tells them that they need to learn to live as outsiders. Today, we are living in a time that looks increasingly like theirs. I think you would agree that 2020 has been a year of fiery trials, a year none of us wants to live through again. A worldwide pandemic has led to lockdowns, which have led to job loss, which have led to anxiety and loneliness. And all of this has fueled the fires of alienation and hatred and polarization that are already burning all across our society. And some of us, some of us are facing what may be the leading edges of coming persecution in our country for our faith. All of us are living in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to God and his word year after year. Right now, some of us are being pressured to say things we don't believe, to agree with ideas that run counter to God's truth. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk more about how the pre-Christian culture of the first century shares much in common with the post-Christian culture of the 21st century. But all of this is to say that we today need 1 Peter. You're going to find that this letter has a unique blend of encouragement and realism. Peter tells us we can live in hope, but he also tells us we don't belong. Peter tells us we're on a journey. As exiles who don't belong, we are sojourners, we are travelers, we are people the world sees as strange. We're outsiders. We're citizens of a different kingdom. Today, We're going to unpack the introduction to this letter, which is the first two verses. And I want to read them with you right now. Would you take open your copy of God's word? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Let's begin with some facts that you'll need to know for our journey. First, the apostle Peter is the author of this letter. And Peter is a guy that you can't help but love. He's someone I think we can all relate to. He had a big mouth. He sometimes said stupid things. He was always getting himself in trouble. And pretty much Peter's motto seemed to be go big or go home. Peter was real. I think that Peter would have liked our Southwind's value of no perfect people allowed. Peter wasn't a churchy person. You know, contrast him to the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul was a guy who, who was sometimes, you know, way, way up there. But Peter is almost always right down here. Paul was a guy who would say, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he'd list his accomplishment. Paul was a guy who, you know, went to Stanford and then to Princeton for a master's degree and then to Harvard for a PhD. But Peter, Peter was like, yeah, but I know the difference between a carp and a catfish. Paul Paul seems like the kind of guy who would speak eight languages and who would spend his evenings translating ancient Punic or Coptic writings. Peter, he was the kind of guy who watched Tiger King twice. But for all of that, Peter was the indisputed leader of the apostles. His name always comes first when Jesus' disciples are listed Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means rock, and he writes like a man with the name rock. You will see as you read this letter that his words are honest and they're blunt and they're straight to the point. And that's Peter. Well, who did Peter write to? First Peter is what is known in the Bible as a general letter, not written to just one church, but to a number of churches. Churches actually across five regions, which are all located in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And the people in these churches were a diverse group of Gentiles and Jews. They were multicultural. Now, we don't know exactly when Peter was written, but close to A.D. 64 is a reasonable estimate. It seems that Peter is writing from Rome, where he was imprisoned, and where he would be martyred by the emperor Nero in A.D. 64. And that raises the question, well, why did Peter write this letter? And we find a partial answer in verse 6 of chapter 1, where Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. As I mentioned earlier, persecution across the empire had not yet broken out, but the people Peter was writing to were feeling the heat, and it was starting to turn up. See, the purpose of 1 Peter was to prepare these Christ followers to live in a culture hostile to their faith. One of my PhD professors, a scholar named Scott McKnight, has written a commentary on 1 Peter, and he says this. The issue facing the Christians in Asia Minor was disturbingly simple. How should we live in this context of social exclusion and persecution? Should we withdraw from society? Should we turn a cold shoulder to the world? Should we denounce society in poetic and prophetic tones? How then should we live? And First Peter pushes that question on us as well. How then should we live? And the answer is found in that word Peter uses to describe us as Christ's followers, exiles. That word describes our relationship to this world we live in. And it doesn't matter if we live in the country of our birth or not. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are fundamentally exiles. We are people who are temporarily isolated from our true home. We are living in a country where we don't belong. 
So what does this mean to live as exiles, to walk a path that we can call a strange journey as the world sees it? Today, we're looking at the introduction to 1 Peter, the first two verses, which is formally called the greeting or the salutation. And these opening two verses are among the most theologically rich of all the greetings found in New Testament letters. Peter packs so much incredible truth into these short sentences. And I want to show you four truths that help us begin our strange journey. Four truths that are drawn from four words. You might underline them in your copy of God's word. The word elect, the word sanctification, the word obedience. And then we're going to tie it all up with that word exiles. So here's the first truth. You can write this down on your notes. God has chosen us to take the journey. This is what Peter writes in his introduction. He writes this letter to people he characterizes like this. He says, elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Peter calls these Christ followers elect exiles. And the Greek word translated elect simply means chosen. At its most basic level, the word elect means this. The cause of your salvation is not that you have reached out and found a distant God, but that God, who is very near, he reached out and he chose you and he drew you into his family. We first find this concept of being chosen in the Old Testament. We learn there that Israel was chosen by God, but it wasn't because of anything they did. God called them a stubborn and arrogant people. He called them the smallest of all the nations. They had nothing to offer him, but he had everything to offer them. And he chose them in his grace so that he could express his life, so that he could show his love and his mercy to them and through them. See, through Israel would come the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. But Israel rebelled and turned away and Eventually, God turned to the Gentiles, and now God is working through the body of Christ, all those who follow Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, to accomplish his will on earth. And he's doing that by reaching out to people like us, by drawing us into his family. He is choosing us to take the journey. God chose you, Peter says, according to his foreknowledge. Now, without spending a great deal of time reviewing the theological controversy that always surrounds this doctrine of election or predestination, let me tell you what this word does not mean. It does not mean that God looked down through time and saw what you would choose and then he ratified your choice. God is the primary mover. God is the one who first chooses. This doesn't suggest that our choices are not free. The Bible is clear. Our choices are real, but God's choice is always first and always ultimate. This word foreknowledge is actually synonymous to predestined or foreordained. It refers to God's plan to save people through his son, Jesus Christ, a plan that he has had in place since eternity past. And here's what I want you to understand. This doctrine ought to be a comfort to you. This doctrine means your salvation is not based on you. It means that God will not cast you aside. It means that God has chosen you to be his child and therefore nothing can threaten you. Therefore, nothing can take that salvation away. Peter says, according to the foreknowledge. Well, what's according to the foreknowledge of God? Look at your text. It is that they are elect exiles in the dispersion that they are, they are scattered among these regions. 
And that means that everything about their lives, their status as exiles, their privileges as God's people, where they live, what they are suffering, all that is part of God's plan. That means that God chose our journey. He planned it. It was part of his foreknowledge. And again, this is also supposed to give us comfort. We who find ourselves in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic, in a nation that's tearing itself apart, living in economic stress, living in personal anxiety, we we can know that God planned it all and that should comfort us. Do you know that everything that is happening now was planned according to, to the foreknowledge of God? You ask, why? Well, I answer, I don't know. But God knows. And I know that God is weaving a tapestry and it's like we're underneath the loom and we cannot see what he is doing. It's like a bunch of strange threads that make no sense or hanging down. But God is up there saying, wait until you see what I'm making. See, why does God have you where you are right now? in that neighborhood, maybe staying at home with your family? Why is he giving you more time alone? Why is your job gone? Well, whatever it is, all of this is according to the foreknowledge of the Father, and he is our Father. One of the chief themes that is running through this letter is that God has put us in a family and that the church is a family. God has chosen us to take the journey, but not by ourselves. The Bible always teaches that we're better together, we're stronger together, that we are part of the church, which is the family of God. And and we're going to be seeing many implications of this over the next few months. But, But let me underline this right now. What Peter is talking about here is our identity. How do we understand our lives? How do we see ourselves? You're going to find that identity is a key theme in 1 Peter. And God's choosing of us for this journey simply means this. We find our identity based on who we are in God's eyes and in God's family, not on who we are in the eyes of society or culture. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We're going to study them in a few weeks, but you need to hear them now. These verses are all about identity. Peter writes... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I saw something on the internet this week. Maybe you saw it too. Lauren Daigle's song, You Say, just hit 100 straight weeks at number one on the charts. It's a song that many of us have learned and loved, learned to love over the last couple of years. And listen to the words of this song, some of the words. She, she sings these beautiful words that speak to so many of us. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. 
And you say, I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say, I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. I believe. See, you have been chosen by God to be in his family. And on this strange journey, living as an exile, you need to find your identity there. Find your significance and your acceptance in God, not in this world. And if God has chosen you for his family, think about it. What does it matter if you have a little or a lot? What does it matter if people are impressed with you or not? What does it matter if they reject you? Peter says, God is calling you to this strange journey as an elect exile. So find your identity in God and in God's family. Here's the second truth. You can write this down as well. The purpose of the journey is holiness. God has chosen us for this journey not to find ourselves. That is not the point of the journey. God has chosen us for this journey not for us to achieve success, not for us to experience comfort. God's purpose in our lives is holiness. Peter says we have been chosen. This is from verse 2. Look at this phrase. In the sanctification of the Spirit. We were chosen by by means of the Holy Spirit's sanctification. In other words, the Spirit reached down into our lives and he has made us holy and he is making us holy. So what does this mean? Well, this means that everything happening to you is not only according to God's foreknowledge, but, but it is also happening in this supernatural atmosphere, in this realm of the Spirit's activity, all trying to make you into the image of Christ turning every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship, every sickness and joy and pleasure, all of these things into a tool for the purifying work of the Spirit in your life. That's what God is doing. You know, one of the things that I can say with authority that God is doing in your life right now is that He is purifying you. He is sanctifying you. He is making you more like Jesus. And so if you're a Christ follower, that means that all of your life is part of the Spirit's activity to sanctify you, to to make you holy. See, becoming holy is a process ultimately, a process that will take the rest of your life. I'm going to give you a simple definition. Holiness is becoming like Jesus. In other words, the more holy we are, the more we're like Jesus. Or you can turn it around. The more we're like Jesus, the more holy we are. And and Peter wants us to know that holiness is the purpose of this journey. Look at verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And again, let me ask you to think, what is your purpose in life? How do you see your purpose? In other words, what is it that you are striving for? What are you trying to achieve? Is it holiness? Is holiness your goal? Is holiness your purpose? Holiness is the purpose of the journey. And then the third truth, holiness comes only through obedience on the journey. Peter tells us that the purpose of the Father's choosing and the purpose of the Spirit's sanctifying work is this. Verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. 
So you see, everything is pointed towards some things. I want you to notice there are two prepositions, the word for in verse two, for obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus wants to lead you to increasing obedience. All the trials you're going through, everything happening to you is all designed to increase your obedience to Jesus. God the Father planned it, the Spirit's activity empowers it, and Jesus Christ receives your obedience. See, this word for means here's the purpose. Here's the purpose. But also for sprinkling with his blood. For sprinkling with his blood. Let me, let me preface this by saying that how, how many of us How many of us, even though this is according to God's foreknowledge, even though the Spirit is working in us, how many of us could look at our lives and say, man, I am nailing it when it comes to obedience. I'm just making it happen every day. I don't think very many at all, right? Because we fail all the time. And so Peter highlights here this reality that even when you fail, there is the the sprinkling with the blood that's a strange statement, right? You're going to discover that Peter will use all kinds of imagery and metaphors that, that point back to the Old Testament. What happened in the Old Testament? Well, if you know the story, there would be sacrifices and blood would be sprinkled on the altar. And that blood was meant to purify. It was, it was symbolic. It was looking forward to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. But the goal was that through the sacrifice of that animal... I would be purified from sin. And so here Peter is saying, one of the things that God wants you to remember is that your sin is paid for, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you and cleanse you of all sin. And that means even when we disobey, God won't leave us. God calls us to obedience, but he also forgives us when we fail at obedience Don't miss, don't miss the last sentence of verse two where Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice, not just a little grace, but grace that's multiplied and grows, that just keeps coming. That's just the gift that keeps on giving. It never stops. And what we have access to is this never ending flow of God's grace and then God's peace. So I want to say to you, if you've failed, do not give in to despair. Ask for his grace. God loves to give grace. God, our Father, loves to multiply grace and multiply peace to his children. You know, one of the things that this word obedience tells us is that we don't get to choose the path of the journey. Our plans, our goals, our objectives, not the point. And so that means as as followers of Christ, our first question must always be, what does Jesus want me to do? How can I obey Jesus today on this part of my journey? And I have to ask you, is this what you've been asking yourself these days? Or have you been more concerned about asking God why he's let all this happen to you? Peter is real big on obedience. Look at verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I want you to think about these first three truths. I want to make sure that you see this. 
These first three truths, they tell us in glorious terms that the entire Godhead, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us on our journey. Isn't that amazing? God is with us in all of his fullness as we follow him. And that takes us to this fourth truth. And here's how I want to express it. You can write this down. To make the journey, you must say, I'm an exile in this world. You won't make it unless you embrace your identity as an exile. Now, I'm going back to the beginning because we must get this. And as I mentioned, Peter says our fundamental identity is elect exiles. We are chosen out of the world. And and by definition, that means we are different. And as we've seen, Peter is using this word exiles to describe that difference. Look again as it's translated in the New International Version, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This Greek word for exiles, it refers to people who reside in a place, but who stay there only for a brief time. Exiles, strangers, are are temporary residents. Peter uses another word later on in 1 Peter that means almost the same thing. It often gets translated aliens, and it could also be translated foreigners or strangers. And this word means that someone who resides in a place is there without the legal protection and rights provided for citizens. You know, when you live in a country you're not from, you have three basic options. First, you can be an immigrant And an immigrant is someone who seeks to make this new country their permanent home. They're not from there, but they want to be. And that's what a lot of Christians do with this world. They might say they're citizens of heaven, but they treat this world as if this is where they really want to live. They focus on their comfort here and now. They try to accumulate resources for living here and now. They worry about what they do and don't have, about what people think about how they can have their best life here and now, immigrants. A second option is to be a tourist. And this is the opposite of an immigrant. A tourist doesn't want to live here. They're just visiting. And so they don't form real connections. They huddle in their groups where they speak their own language and eat their own food and and just hang with the people like them. And these are the Christians who don't care about political or the social problems around them. These are the Christians who feel no connection to the cities where God has placed them. These are the Christians who are, you know, just waiting for God to rapture them out of this mess. The third option is what Peter is talking about, what we need to hear, and that is to be an exile. An exile is someone whose home is somewhere else, but for a time they must make their home in this new place, and so they invest in this new community. They form relationships there. They learn the culture there, but they don't want to get too attached because the whole time they're there, they are longing for the day when they can go home. Christ followers who live as exiles, well, they're not going to be focused on accumulating a lot because their real home is somewhere else. They are satisfied with just enough to get by because their real treasure is somewhere else. It's kind of like when you're in an airport. You know, you have these little shops that sell you things you need uh, while you're there at ridiculously high prices. And it's just to keep you comfortable on your layover. But you know what you never see in an airport? shopping carts. No one goes there to load up. 
you buy just enough to get by because it's a temporary stop on your way to your true home. Peter calls us to change our thinking about this world we live in. This world is not our true home. So don't get too attached. Don't be obsessed about what you do or don't have, uh, what you do or don't experience. And don't let it bother you that everyone around you is different and they see you as different. That's what you should expect if you're in exile. You belong to a different kingdom with a different set of values. See, truth is, Christians are supposed to seem strange to the world and the people around them. I mean, how could you not? You follow a different authority. You you have a completely different set of values. Peter's going to show us this over and over again throughout this letter. I'm going to show you some implications of being an exile with some verses that we're going to be studying the weeks ahead. Here's the first one. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, you live your life for an audience of one. Fearing God, obeying God, that's your number one priority. Not what other people think. Not what the culture thinks. And then look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In other words, exiles don't live just like everyone around them. And they don't try to, and they shouldn't want to. They embrace their identity as an exile. They glory in having a father who chose them and put them in a forever family. They know it's always better to live the way God calls them to live, not the way they used to live. And then look at 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Embracing your identity as an exile means accepting your difference. It means accepting the world's rejection because it's natural. You don't fit in. You don't belong. You're part of a different kingdom. And sometimes that difference leads to hostility, to rejection, sometimes even to persecution. And then 1 Peter 4 verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now we're going to talk more about this in the weeks ahead. But elect exiles who know they don't belong, who know they have a different home, they will expect suffering in this world because it's part of the journey. So what does looking at our strange journey mean for all of us? Let me sum it up this way. You can write this down. Know who you are so you know how to live. Biblical scholar Thomas Schreiner puts it like this. Those who understand themselves as God's elect have the ammunition to resist the norms and culture of the society they inhabit. 
If you are going to make it in the Bay Area as a Christ follower, friend, you need to learn how to live as an exile in a society that sees you as irrelevant at best and as a threat at worst. See, if you go to church regularly, if you give money away to God's mission, if you hold to the truths clearly taught in God's word, if you pray to Jesus, and if you believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, many people today will say, there is something wrong with you. And some of them will say, as some of them already are saying, they will say that you're a threat. They will say that you must be marginalized or you must be silenced. Like the Christ followers who first read 1 Peter, the opposition that we face in 2020, it hasn't yet metastasized into full-blown persecution. But one day it may. And if it does, will you be ready? Will you be ready? You can be if you know who you are. And let me remind you, friend, this is who you are. You're an exile, but not just any exile. You're God's exile, God's chosen exile, the father's son or daughter deeply loved. I'm looking forward to exploring 1 Peter with you, Southwinds. And I am trusting that God is going to change our lives as we read and study his word and as he prepares us for our future. I hope you're looking forward to it as well. Would you bow your heads, join me as we pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, your word that points us to who you are and who you have made us and who you have called us to be. And Lord, we thank you for these magnificent and massive and glorious and stunningly beautiful truths of who we are because of what you've done for us. Father, we ask you to empower us to embrace our identity as exiles. Lord, show us where we need to change our lives, where we need to repent. And Lord, I, I don't know who, who may be listening to these words right now, but you know. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering and need hope. Give them hope, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening, but they do not know this hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts. Lord, I, I pray that you would grant them repentance. I pray that you would give them new life, that they would be born again as they trust in you, as they trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that they would follow Jesus. And Father, many prayers are, are being lifted to you right now. We ask you, Lord, that you would hear our prayers we ask that you would answer in your mercy. Father, we need you. We know that. We cannot make it without you. And so we place our trust in you. You are our only hope. We ask, Lord, with Peter, that your grace and your peace will be multiplied into our lives. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people together, wherever you are, said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that you will have a wonderful week as you follow the Lord, trusting in him, finding your hope in him. We'll see you next Sunday.